Welcome to The Ear Spoon. This is Fish, and we have started a special line of interviewing called A Call to Action. We hope to distribute as much quality information to you about an ever-changing landscape, but please keep in mind, as it does change often, so might this information. It's all dated, and by all means, before acting on any of it, verify it. And as all Ear Spoon podcasts, it is presented to you by Mocha Joe's. If you live locally, they are offering curbside pickup, and they're still doing shipping through their website, mochajoes.com. Welcome to A Call to Action, a series presented by Great Eastern Radio and Brattleboro Community Television. We're covering many different topics from recovering from loans and student loans to serving the area's food supply. Today, we're talking with Sherry. She's with the Women's Freedom Center. Now, I have to be honest with you, when we set this interview up, I wasn't sure how the Women's Freedom Center and COVID-19 fit together other than how you and I might deal with it. But when I talked with Sherry, she introduced me to a scope of something that could be happening that I had never, ever thought of. So as we are social distancing and sheltering in place, we need to be more vigilant about caring for those who are throwing out signs. We'll get into that in a moment. But if you are watching this on BCTV on that broadcast, you'll notice that I'm sharing my screen today with a logo and not a face. Given the work that the Women's Freedom Center does, it's imperative for the safety of these people who do this work that they remain cloaked. So with that, I welcome to the program Sherry from the Women's Freedom Center. Thanks so much for giving us a chance to talk about this. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not a terribly uh, comfortable conversation that we're gonna have today, at least, um, and as you know from my reaction, uh, uh, with my our phone call that we had yesterday and setting up this interview, I was blown away. But l- let's get into some of the basic work that the Women's Freedom Center does. So if you could tell us that, that would be great. Absolutely. So for folks who might not be as familiar, the Women's Freedom Center, formerly the Women's Crisis Center, is the domestic and sexual violence resource organization for Wyndham and Southern Windsor counties. And we have been doing this work at this point for 46 years in our community. And as I think we all know, um, you know, we've, we've come a long way as humans in our culture, but we've still got a long way to go. Uh, and, you know, also just um, to make sure folks know the Women's Freedom Center is committed to supporting all survivors who've experienced domestic or sexual violence. Okay, so in a nutshell, not easy work on a day-to-day, having to deal with all of that and untangle all of that. So you sent out a memo today, and I should say today is April 8th, um, that covers some of the uncomfortable subject matter that I wanna drill into you, uh, drill, drill in, to today with you. Um, and I kind of want to go item for item, if, if we could. Um, let's start with the, the basic premise of, of what we're looking for now. But before that, I, I want you to, we talked briefly about some numbers. So let, let's throw those out there. And these might sound like good numbers, but they're not, they're terrifying numbers. So Sherry, if you would please share those numbers that we discussed with before getting on the interview. Yeah, excuse me. So just to give folks a snapshot, last year alone, the Women's Freedom Center supported 939 adults and their 564 kids. In that whole year, we responded to over 2,200 hotline calls. Now, if we compare the last two weeks of March 2019 with the last two weeks of March this year, so basically the shutdown, 
our call volume has gone down by about 50%. In any other kind of work, we might think, yay, you know, hooray, um, this is where we want to see these numbers go. But in the context of our work, and this is based on, you know, the direct lived experience of so many survivors, this, this silence is not actually welcome, it's kind of ominous, right? We would expect to have people be able to reach out in whatever safe ways they can maneuver to do so, um, which for survivors is often, you know, the quandary. Um, they may not be safe to make, if they're living with the abusive partner, then, you know, they may have to strategize a safe way to be out in the community, or if they're going to work, they might call the hotline from there. That's kind of, understood that survivors are having to navigate safety in that way, but for the most part, they manage to do that, right? Which is how we get the overwhelming number of the hotline calls that we get. That survivor individually has strategized when they can safely get to the phone. What we know now in mass is that um, collectively there are, you know, for any of us, there are so few options now to be out and about. There are so few plausible alibis for needing to go out that could be the occasion of a call and you know it's not uncommon that a survivor you know, may have a cell phone so they could potentially duck out into the yard or in the car or something but it's not uncommon that survivors technology has been hacked by the abuser again you know making the the time frame to get a call in and the technology to do so that much more limited right now so we the the memo that you're referring to folks will get a chance to see that typically you know we have a, a an occasional or monthly column that comes out um in the brattleboro reformer and the commons um we still have to submit that but that's what we're talking about we're really looking at the ways that the, the minute you know encounters we now have with others might include somebody who only has that 10 minute errand to try to make a safe phone call. So we wanna just inform the community, um, put the word out there for alert bystanders to just kind of be aware that that could be happening so that they may be willing to step in and help a little bit. And we can talk in detail about how. Yes, please. So that that part, when, when we discussed this yesterday, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bite this back right now, um, literally reduced me to tears that somebody has to live in that level of fear all the time and then uh, have this whole thing, this pandemic, this sheltering in place thing heaped on top of it, um, which has got to be, and the part that touched my heart the most was this helpless feeling that they may feel. Um, only being able to get out of the house now, uh, what could have been once, two, three times a day with ample time to call you, um, now may be reduced to, as you just uh, pointed out, a, a, a 10 minute uh, interaction out in public a week um, and what could be happening to them at home. So let, let's talk about the most common place that, that we might see these people and let's talk directly to uh, as if the grocery store worker and the grocery store manager doesn't have enough to deal with right now, we have to we have to put this on you as well now to kind of stay more vigilant and paying attention. What is it that the stores in the areas could be doing? Yeah, and again, this is you know um, just as you said, right? 
store managers, any of the folks that are helping the community by you know keeping food and products available for all of us, they're definitely frontline heroes right now, along with all the healthcare staff. So you know, we greatly appreciate any help they can offer at what we know is already a tough time. What we're asking store managers to consider is having a safe phone available in a private back office, whether that's their office phone or, you know, they can, they can call the Women's Freedom Center to talk about th these possibilities, but having some sort of phone available that they could wipe down both before and after use. Um, again, as I said before, some survivors, you know, they may not have a cell phone to begin with or their technology has been compromised by the abuser. And so that can't actually be used for safety planning, right? That doesn't help the survivor, it actually just lets the abuser head them off at the pass with any safety planning they try to do. So if store managers are able to make a phone available, um, that, that literally could be a lifeline. And the title of this upcoming column is actually creating a lifeline, how to help a survivor during this crisis. And we start with that. We, we ask store managers to consider having either just their regular phone available if somebody asks and I please use your phone for an emergency, which, you know, before sort of this whole epidemic, most humans and certainly most businesses would probably be likely to say, oh, of course, right? But now that we've all got these social distancing concerns about touching things, we get that human response, like how are we gonna make this safe? But our ask is um, that they make a phone available to a survivor. Uh, you know, and that survivor may use the phone obviously to call us on the hotline. Um, so just giving them some privacy, they may use it to call 911 depending on what they feel their safety needs are. But some of these last few businesses that are still open, if they're able to just be mindful around that, it literally could be life-saving. And I just wanna put on our, our office number for those folks. Again, you know, we get it. If you don't think this would work on your site or you have concerns about it, please feel welcome to call us to talk about some other possibilities. We may be able to help figure that out with you. Our office number is 257-7364. And you can also find that on the Women's Freedom Center website okay. as well. So w w with uh, ke keeping in mind the fact that, um, you know, the, the mass population is really what's going to have to police this. And, and of course, we're not looking to create a band of vigilantes here that are, um, you know, that are, have the untrained eye and, and trying to sort through. But if, uh, if somebody looks as though that they might be in distress, safe to say, it, it would probably, you would probably be doing somebody a pretty big solid if you just paid special attention to that person. And of course, I'm speaking about citizens. I'm speaking about shoppers. When you see people out there, mm -hmm. what what is it? What are the signs? What do you do if I am pushing my cart down down the aisle of a grocery store, and and a what what signs might I be looking for from somebody who is in a in a situation where they might need to be rescued, and and I might be that only lifeline. Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say it absolutely will vary with the survivor's own sort of needs and abilities to get the word out. And if we can back up for just a second, um, just to kind of define, you know, domestic violence is basically a pattern of behavior um, that's designed to keep power and control over the survivor. And that can include anything. It can include emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, threats, including death threats, um, the whole spectrum, basically. 
And obviously now anybody that's kind of stuck at home with an abuser is that much more under that person's control, right? And so, you know, we, we put the word out there to store managers. If, if a survivor is asking a store manager to use a phone, then very likely they're out shopping alone. That may not be how that happens, right? It's possible that abusers won't allow that. Um, they may not allow the, the survivor to stay home alone if they think you know, he or she or they are gonna escape and take off. So they may be forced to go shop together, but that may mean the survivor's not able to talk to a store manager, doesn't feel comfortable drawing attention. So it really might be that quick stolen glance or whisper or note passed to another shopper in the aisle. If you think about if, you know, if this 10 minute errand, let's say, is the first chance someone has to call for help or the only chance at freedom, they're probably having to wing it, right? They maybe didn't realize we're going shopping now. They maybe didn't have a chance to write a note to hand it to someone. They may not know if the person is gonna, you know, have a visible reaction and get them in more trouble. So it, it could happen in any number of ways. Again, we trust survivors to trust their own instincts. They know what it's like to live with that abuser, to be walking on eggshells. They know what might potentially help them be safe and they know typically, whoa, I, I could never take that step. In my case, that would be you know, even worse for me. So we always let survivors guide conversations and safety planning. They're the experts on not only their own situations, but their own lives. And so any way it might come to us, um, you know, any way they can get our attention, it might just be mouthing the words, you know, call police, um, which I would say for the most part, we might be able to live breathe that enough, um, you know, whatever way they're able to strategize. And so, you know, our ask in this column for concerned shoppers is just to realize, you know, that if that person isn't alone, they, that may be the only chance they have, right, is to get a passer in the store, um, and then, if possible, what we would what we would hope is that somebody would just nod a silent, quick yes, not draw any attention to anything, and then go outside the store, obviously, and call police and give police whatever details they may have. It probably wouldn't be much. If it's possible, that concerned shopper could also just quietly try to alert the store manager to what's you know that police are on the way. Maybe the manager can just help monitor the situation in the store, um, and that concerned shopper can also go back outside and give our hotline a call as this is playing out, and speak with an advocate if they would like to about further options. And what we have to say, and you know, we know this. We the Women's Freedom Center offers a lot of ongoing sort of educational workshops to the community and to workplaces. And one of them is a bystander workshop to help empower people to take steps. And what we know, and by we, I mean the whole sort of advocate community around the country that does this work is, it is truly inspiring, uh, the impact that alert bystanders can have. And sometimes, you know, really creative individuals who can think on their feet or organizations have found discrete ways to even cause a slight delay and buy a survivor extra time to escape or for police to arrive. And we've heard that locally here too, you know, long before the coronavirus. So we just trust that people, if they're aware of it, you know, most people are good hearted and do want to help survivors if they cross their paths. The question for them is, what you know what's the best way to be helpful what's safe for the survivor what's safe for me as the bystander and again those are questions that you can also put to an advocate by calling and if something is imminent urgent for a bystander 
you can definitely call our hotline as well. And I'll just give that number. We can give it again at the end, but our yeah. hotline number is 254-6954. Okay. Now, um, the response also, if somebody mouths the words help or help me or call police or, or, or whatever it is, I mean, our response is the person receiving that message should be a, a, a pretty flaccid no response, just maybe a, a quick nod that you heard it um, and just to pretend because you don't know what the situation is. None of us are trained. You got to leave that to the boys in blue and just make sure that, that, that they get that phone call as quickly as humanly possible. Is that safe to put that out there and say that? Yeah. I mean, again, every bystander is different and, you know, at different moments in time, we may feel more or less able to do, um, you know, to do a particular step, but for any of us, I think the quick nod, you know, obviously keeping it silence uh, so that it's not drawing attention to the survivor having asked or you having nodded. If you're able to just give a quick nod of any kind, that way the survivor isn't left wondering and trying to ask the next and the next shopper, right? So some acknowledgement of, I gotcha, I'm gonna make this phone call for you, you know, right away. And if that shopper doesn't have a phone, then the same thing would apply. Check in with the manager about just being able to use a, call, a phone to call 911. That um, that would make the most sense. Okay. Um, so is it safe to assume that family, friends, and neighbors will know the situation of somebody who's in an abusive situation? You know, it again, it varies with each um, survivor situation, a huge part of um, a survivor's experience can include growing isolation the longer they're in that relationship. So friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, excuse me, they, they may have a hunch that something's happening or they may know for sure that something's happening. So it really runs the whole gamut there, I would say. But since you mentioned neighbors, let's start there because, you know, we're all home right now. People may be hearing a little bit more of the daily dynamic of an abusive relationship than they did before from their neighbors, right? Or they maybe heard some fights, but now they're hearing what maybe sounds like escalation. And again, I would say common sense always applies here. Certainly if any of us ever sees or hears that somebody is in imminent physical danger or you see an assault in progress, Calling 911 is always the fastest way to get help to a survivor of any kind of crime, right? Even if you've never spoken to that person. But again, you know, we have been doing this work for decades now, uh, and our hotline is 24-7. Far more common questions that we get on our hotline year-round is when people, you know, maybe suspect their neighbor isn't safe next door, but they don't really know that person well. They don't want to be intrusive or presumptuous but they would like to reach out somehow. They just don't know what's helpful and what's safe. And again, that is a fabulous reason to call our hotline and talk through your situation with an advocate. We don't assume that everybody feels equally able to take you know, one step or another. We'd wanna talk that through with you. Um, but you know, calling 911 to try to help save somebody who's in imminent danger is always the fastest method. And there are definitely other safe ways that we can guide somebody um, to you know, interacting with that survivor, potentially getting some life-saving information to them, but the safest ways to do that. So that's neighbors. Um, and then family and friends, of course, you know, if they are aware that their loved one is in a domestic violence relationship, 
you know, we get that this could be a really worrying time for them as well. And once again, right, they can give an advocate a call to talk about safety tips when they're communicating with that loved one um, and what are some of the best ways to support them. And, you know, ironically, because right now we're all checking in a lot more with each other during this lockdown anyway, that can give friends and family kind of a natural cover for ongoing calls or virtual chats. And, you know, we want survivors and we want our whole community to know that all of our 24-hour crisis services are still available and intact if that survivor wants to reach out. And again, it always needs to be that survivor's choice about when and whether to take any particular steps. Um, you know, as we said in a column just last week, the key thing for all of us to understand about domestic violence when, you know, survivors will often get very well-intended nudges, you know, you should just do this, you should just do that, or why don't they just leave? We want to just underscore that, you know, with a domestic violence situation, this is not just a messy breakup. Um, it's usually much more like fleeing. And that has to be done pretty carefully because again, you know, there may well have been death threats put in place if you ever leave, right? And so that's what that survivor is navigating year, you know, year round potentially. So when trying to flee, sooner isn't always safer. It can be literally um, critical that they have some outside supports or just that they have the ability themselves to put together a decent plan for when and how and where they're going to land with the safety plan because if they get caught in the act of trying to flee or just a little while after that you know the risk of serious harm or worse goes up pretty dramatically so we want to make sure that that support is around for survivors um, and we want to make sure our community knows that the Women's Freedom Center is still completely able to help shelter people who might need it. We're still able to help people get protective orders which could have the abuser removed from the house. All of those services are still intact and 24-7. Okay. Um you know, it's it again. It's just mind-boggling to me that uh, that that we're here and we're having this conversation, and how necessary and important it is, as as we are all respecting everybody's uh, social distancing rules and 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 all the COVID nineteen protocols, um, to just stay extra vigilant and just you know let's just watch out for one another. It just speaks to that at a higher level and a level that I I would have never ever considered if I if you hadn't reached out. So um, I, I thank you for doing that. And it's a lot to unpack. And I get upset every time I think too deeply about it. But um, and the fact that, again, that that this that we have to watch out for one another is I just can't put a big enough exclamation on it. Sherry, will you do me a favor? Can you just throw out your website for people who might be looking for more information? Absolutely. So womensfreedomcenter.net is our website. And for, you know, folks that, um, you know, if people are interested, we invite them to follow us on Facebook, um, whether they want to help out. We always post sort of ongoing ways that people can help out. A shout out to all the wonderful folks that have offered um, to help with donations or to make masks. We've got some wonderful masks in recently for the survivors that we're working with who are in shelter or not. Um, but also, you know, anybody that could just use some feminist inspiration and diversion, they are welcome to follow us on Facebook and stay connected. And I would say, you know, 
it's hard, of course, for anybody to come on the air when there's so much um, just painful news out there every day and to bring yet one more urgent thing to watch out for. But the really, um, you know, just the sort of heartwarming part of all this is to see all the different ways people are rallying and solidarity, uh, all the creative ways people are finding to reach out and stay connected and deepen connections with each other. Um, all of that is really great to see. So we thank everybody for being supporters of the Women's Freedom Center and wish everybody, you know, health and safety navigating the times we're in right now. Sherry, thank you for all the work that you're doing. And um, thank you for uh, sitting and, and chatting with us today uh, at a call to action. Really super important stuff. And hopefully not a single person listening to the podcast, watching, uh, watching this on BCTV, um, ever are put in a situation where they have to use any of the tools that uh, we handed out today. But if, if you are put into a situation, you'd be doing somebody a solid. And thank you again for all the work that you do. Yeah, Pete, thanks for a chance to talk about it. All right, take care. You too. Thank you for tuning in to a special segment of The Earspoon called A Call to Action as we navigate the waters of a worldwide pandemic. More information will follow. And as always, be safe and be six feet apart.